I want to share with you this morning, we're in week 24 of the story, if you've been with us, if you've not been, we've been going through the Bible, we started actually in Genesis back in September, we're in, uh, in the New Testament and talking about Jesus' ministry. Today I want to ask you a question, have ever, any of you ever um, met or encountered someone or something extraordinary? Let's just talk about someone. Ever encountered anybody that was uh, ex- you would consider extraordinary? Uh, many years ago, when I was in college, at Carson Newman College in Tennessee, we were uh, doing a, I was in a men's chorus there, and we were traveling around, and we went to the to Washington, D.C. At that time, the speaker, the person who was the minority leader in the house was from Tennessee. His name was Howard Baker. And so we got to go in his office. I got to sit down for a few minutes and actually talk with Howard Baker. He became the majority leader of the Senate. Eventually, uh, he was the chief of staff of Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was uh, also a, uh, a uh, ambassador to Japan. He did a lot of different things. But I thought he was a fairly, you know, he's, if you'd have met him, he was just a really down-to-earth guy. But he became an, what we would call an extraordinary person in regard to life. And then a few years later, I was at a conference in, uh, uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, and I got to meet Billy Graham and talk just briefly with him. It was like two seconds, you know, like, I, but I met Billy Graham, you know. So, But Billy Graham is somebody that I consider extraordinary as well. And yesterday morning in our men's group, we were talking about this, and one of the guys in the group was talking about the influential impact that he had had many years ago when he was 12 years old, and where he had been, he had been in Chicago growing up, and had been up in the area of Chicago when he was 12, and this guy's about my age now, and, and he was uh, talking about how he was there during the time when Martin Luther King came through Chicago on the march uh, through there for civil rights and how uh, what happened there and how Martin Luther King, uh, you know, he was thrown, somebody threw a brick at him up there and, and hit him and, and how he responded to that and how influential that was in his life, early life, and, and as far as a person of faith. And, and we think about all these people that are we would consider extraordinary, uh, but the reality is if we looked into the life of Howard Baker and Billy Graham and Martin Luther King, uh, there would be parts of their life that even though they were extraordinary in some things, there was other parts of their life that we'd probably consider not that good. I mean, from, for instance, Martin Luther King, because of some things that we found out in his life, I mean, he lived a, an incredible life, but at the same time, he had some flaws in his life as well. But today, as we look at the life of Jesus Christ, I want to say, say that he was somebody we would consider extraordinary, but he was like no one else who was extraordinary. He was totally different than anyone else who was extraordinary. I mean, you will call in the New Testament that the wise men first called him king when he was an infant. In Matthew 2, it says this, as the wise men are looking for him, it says, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Um, we saw a star when he rose and was come to worship him. Even when he was crucified above his head, they put a sign. It says this, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, throughout his ministry, no king would talk about life the way Jesus did. And his and he was constantly, throughout his life and throughout his ministry, he was talking about one thing, and it was consistent. If you read the story this week, chapter 24, what you read was constantly a one theme. It was about the kingdom of God. It was about parables and stories about the kingdom of God and about how Jesus was no ordinary man. Now, the first thing about Jesus is a couple of things this morning. I am going to make a little briefer than normal because I knew we had a lot of things going on this morning. First of all, Jesus' kingdom is no ordinary kingdom. Um, in your bulletin, I didn't put the scripture we're going to read today because I thought I'd give you some other options. But in your bulletin, there's like three different stories. And each one of them have underlined some words. And it's about the kingdom of God. It talks about the kingdom of God in so many ways. But one verse in particular, not on that outline, but uh, I want to talk about briefly. In Matthew 18, this gives a description of what the kingdom of God is like. 
And why Jesus is so extraordinary in talking about it consistently. He says this in Matthew 18 verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to come to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such as this child in my name welcomes me. You know, in every other kingdom, we talked about this last week in regards to Jesus, that when he was the Messiah, they thought he was going to be, people thought he was going to be a political Messiah. They were looking for somebody who dealt with position and power. But Jesus was unlike that at all. That's not what he came. That was not the Messiah that he was. And in the same way as he describes the kingdom here in Matthew 18, it's not about power and position. It's not about that kind of a kingdom. It's a kingdom where humility is honored above everything else and where persons, the person who is in the highest position is the person who actually humbles himself the most. Totally unlike any other person that you could ever think of. Because Jesus was not, not only was it not like any ordinary uh, kingdom, but he, Jesus was no ordinary king. Uh, Chuck Colson pointed out many years ago that there have been hundreds of presidents and hundreds of kings that have lived throughout history. And every one of those persons in times of war, they have generally done the same thing. They have asked their people, their subjects, to go out and lay down their lives for them. That's what kings and presidents and leaders normally do. Ask their people to go out and lay their lives down for the country and for for them. But there's the one king that we know of, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his subjects. He was totally unlike anyone else who ever lived. And as he walked among us. And the interesting thing about Jesus is this, is so often uh, it's really difficult, as Chris a couple of weeks ago talked about this, uh, sometimes we're like ants in, in regards to trying to understand a person and us trying to understand who God and who he is and who Jesus is. But the, one of the things the Bible talks about and it makes very clear, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was both God and man. He was not 50% God, not 50% man. But we understand he was somehow 100% divine and 100% human. He had a human birth. He wept. He hungered. He slept. He was ridiculed. He was scourged. He was beaten. And then he died. He was human. Uh, one writer puts it this way. He says, he says this, Jesus was never less than God, never more than man. And how that works, I don't know. Just be honest with you. I don't know how you can be God and man at the same time, but he was. That's what scripture tells us. And so often we think that because Jesus was divine and we forget about his humanity, we think that Jesus never really struggled with sin. But if you read scripture at all, you'll see in scripture very clearly that Jesus many times struggled. When he was in the wilderness, he was tempted. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was trying to, right before his crucifixion, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, uh, the thing that, that he saw, we saw him sweating so profusely, it describes it as sweating drops of blood. He was, he was questioning where he could go through with this or not. He was, he was truly tempted. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us about Jesus. It describes Jesus as a high priest. It says, well, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who is not, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, every other, or every other extraordinary person that's ever lived has had moments of greatness. 
moments of things where things were in the right way, but they also had those, those fallacies and those, and those difficulties in life. Every one of us do that. Except for Jesus. That was why he was different than anyone who'd ever lived. His humanity was such that he could have sinned. He had the opportunity to sin. He was tempted to sin. But scripture says he did not sin. And one of the things I found that's, that's true, we talked about Jesus in so many ways. We know he comes, and we'll talk about this more next week, not only to save us, but to serve us. But the, all, the other thing is, is Jesus came to show us what would happen if a person walked so in tune with the Holy Spirit, getting his marching instructions from God the Father, and, and what happens when you do that and you obey everything that God says. He showed us what a life looks like when a person totally trusts God. You see, so often we think that spiritual maturity is about how much we know. I mean, it's important, folks, I, I encourage you to read, your, read Scripture and to understand what it says. But knowing Scripture does not make you mature. Maturity is measured by trust. By how much we trust and how much faith we have in God. If you're growing in faith, if you're growing in the Christian life, you trust God more and more and more each day. And it's exciting this morning to see the parents and the kids and, and all the things that are going on in their life. And I see these kids and these, even these parents, guys, you guys are growing too, right? I mean, we don't stop. I said, you know, the, the only time you stop growing as a Christian, unless you choose to do it sometime on this earth, the only time you stop growing is when they shovel dirt on you. We never stop in the Christian walk. We never stop growing and, and taking next steps. And so, our, and so uh, spiritual maturity is measured by how much we trust God, how much we place our faith in Him. And that, in a sense, is measured by the, our obedience to His Word. Jesus was totally obedient to God's Word. Probably no story in Scripture better describes who Jesus was and what his kingdom looks like than in a story that was was actually recorded at all four, uh, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's called the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, it's kind of that's kind of a weird way to say it because really it was more than 5,000 because in those days, for some reasons, ladies, I've told you this before, the reality is they only counted guys. So it was at least there was 5,000 guys there and, and, and women and children there at this feeding. So there was probably more like 15,000 people at least at this time in this place um, at, at this event. But it's recorded in all, all four Gospels. And it came in a different kind of a different uh, scenario because the people came because they wanted to hear Jesus teach and to be healed. And the setting was this. Jesus was wanted to be drawn away from the people because his good friend, and we talked about this last week, his good friend and his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And it says he heard about this, and so he withdrew to kind of have some alone time. To try to get away from the things. But as is the case with Jesus, it didn't last long because he was so popular, and so people came, not by the hundreds, but by the thousands, to hear him teach, to hear him preach, to talk to him, to have him heal them, do all these things in their life. And it says in Scripture that Jesus treated each one of these with compassion. Each person with compassion. He had compassion. Even though he was, you know, like tired and he wanted time alone, he treated them with compassion. But as we read the story, we understand that the compassion was not shared by his disciples. At least not as deeply as Jesus' was. Because after they'd been there for a, a long time during the day, they had missed at least one meal during the day. And we read in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, this is what it says. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, 
and it's already getting light. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Typically, the disciples, when they would talk to Jesus, would preface it by, Lord, Lord, more preferential to Jesus. But not this time, because in the original languages, this was almost a command. This was almost saying, hey, Jesus, you need to do this. You need to take care of these people. Do something for them. Uh, Jesus, they've already stayed too long. They should have brought, packed the meal if they're going to do it. Uh, and we don't have the resources to feed a crowd like this. But as we read scripture once again, and we understand this is about the kingdom of God, Jesus was not perturbed by their lack of respect or their lack of compassion. He simply issues them, his disciples, an assignment. And in verse 16, he says this. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I'm sure the disciples, if we read this story a thousand times, the disciples each time would have a second take and thinking to themselves, well, what are we going to do? So the disciples quickly do some checking. They look amongst the crowd to see what is there, what resources do we have? And they found that amongst all these thousands of people, only one little boy had brought something to eat. The guy was going to be a leader someday, but he planned ahead. He knew what was going on. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but he was the only one in this whole crowd of thousands of people that brought food with him. He had five loaves and two fishes. And they bring him before Jesus. And in verse 17, his, this is what they say. The disciples come to Jesus and they say this. We have here, have here only, only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. They did exactly what you and I usually do when how we approach life. What they did was they looked at what they had in front of them and they said, this is what we've got. And they probably thought, you know, what can we do with this little bit? And they counted it out again. Okay, there's one, two, three, four, five loaves and one, two, five and two fishes. That's seven pieces of of food. That's all we got. And they forgot in the context of what they were thinking about here and who, who had spoken to them. And in a sense here, they're kind of like seeing how small it is because they use the word, we have here only five loaves and two fish. You know, Philip, in fact, in one of the translations, and actually in John, he says this, he must have been an accountant because of what he says. He says this, he says, Philip says, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of you to have a bite, each one of these people to have a bite. And I'm going like, well, you know, he must have done some figuring, calculating, you know, figure, I don't know how he figures that up, you know, that was his mindset. I mean, this is all we have. And Jesus looks at them and probably says, okay, look at this again, guys. Okay, look at what you got. I've asked you to feed them. What do you have? And they're going like, Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pieces of food. That's what we've got. And I think at that point, Jesus was asking them to expand their mind and to begin to think the context that they were in. And he was going, can you count to eight? Because in the kingdom of God, the math works a little differently. I remember years ago when I was in school, they introduced new math. That was about a hundred years ago, but, but you know, it's not new math anymore, but it was called new math and it was like different ways of doing things. And, and in the kingdom of God, there's new math because when Jesus was looking at him, he was wish, wish, wishing they would do this. Okay, Jesus, we have five loaves and we have two fish. Oh, 
And we got Jesus. And that's enough. That's all we need. You see, in his kingdom, any amount plus God equals enough. That's what he's trying to teach the people. That's what he's trying to explain. You see, if you've got a marriage that is failing, so often all we can do is count to two. Me and you. That's all we can do. We've got to work together. We've got to figure this out. But me and you plus God is enough to make a marriage work. And when the odds are overwhelmingly stacked against you, when you only have five loaves and two fishes and 15,000 people, if Jesus is in the mix, it's enough. See, whatever your situation is in life, whether your marriage, your, your health, your career, whatever your situation you're facing in life, I can tell you this. Jesus, if you place him at the center of your life, we talked about this last week, it doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy, it doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect, but it will be enough. It will be enough. Jesus came, and he was extraordinary. But he was, he was different than anybody who had ever lived. He, he lived the perfect life. He showed us what a life looks like when a person totally trusts God. Because spiritual maturity is not measured by how much you know, but by how much you trust. Your level of faith and trust in God. And Jesus had that to the nth degree. I love what it says in 1 John 2.6. It says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If we claim to live in Christ, we live as Jesus did. And you know what that means? Not just physically doing the things that he did, but trusting God the way he trusted God. That's the big issue. What if you turned your ordinary life into one that more closely resembles the extraordinary life that Christ lived? What if you really did do what Jesus did? Because that's what he wants us to do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.